it's not lost on me that many people cry when I come up here. <laughs> what a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. Amen. The name of Jesus. What a fabulous song. What a wonderful name it is. Although my sin is great. What's the next line? Your love is greater. Amen? Amen? My sin is great. How about yours? Yes, but his love is greater. This week I've been uh, reminded by a friend that we are with Jesus wherever we are. This friend said that she was on an island with Jesus. Well, I'm here with Jesus, but it is a great sentiment. Jesus is with us wherever we are. And Jesus loves you. And so do I, young lady. This morning we're continuing in our summer series. I'm Pastor Dan, retired pastor, um, just a member here at Chatham Bible Church. Our pastor, Sergey, is on sabbatical. We pray for him. We pray for refreshment and encouragement. And we pray that when he comes back to us, he will be full of the Holy Spirit and excited to get up here and to state what a wonderful name it is. I can't help it. Ryan, great choice of song. On Sunday mornings, we sing songs. But I want to encourage you, this isn't part of my sermon, I want to encourage you in the future to dwell on those songs because he does a great job of weaving our morning message through the songs. Preparing your hearts for what you're going to hear. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. And our message today is we are the church on mission for Christ, a church on mission for Jesus. We're continuing our summer series in the word pictures used in the New Testament to describe the church of God. And today we are looking at us as witnesses on mission for Christ. Or you could say that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God, or even that we are the army of God bringing the good news to the lost. Now, in case you get a little nervous as this sermon goes on, I gave my Sunday school class permission to shout amens and preach it, brother, and encouragement throughout the message. So, preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. I've had an hour of warm-up. Right, John? An hour of warm-up, and now we're going to really get into it. Our Bible reading this morning, the main text, is from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. If you want to follow along as I read it, you'll find it in your pew Bible on page 909. And if you do not have a Bible, 
or if you know someone that needs a Bible, please feel free to take the Pew Bible home with you today as our gift to you or to your friend. Please stand with me as you are able for the reading of God's Word. You know, that's the wrong... It's supposed to be Acts 1, 6 to 11. The words are right up there, but the reference is wrong. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God bless this, the reading of his word. You may be seated. Our sermon in a sentence this morning is, the church of God is an army, an army of witnesses on mission for Christ to spread the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God to the nations of the world. As we just read in our scripture this morning, the disciples gathered together with Jesus on the mount called Olivet, and Jesus, uh, who had been crucified, died and was buried, was now raised. God had raised him from the dead. This Jesus appeared to the disciples and other believers during a period of 40 days. That time has now come to an end, and an unknown, uh, and unknown to the disciples, Jesus was about to ascend back into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, the Father. But while on the mount, the disciples asked Jesus whether the kingdom of God would be restored at this time. Jesus' answer was probably a bit disconcerting to them. He told them that it was not for them to know the times or the seasons set by the Father's hand, fixed by his own authority. But Jesus gave them their mission, their task as God's chosen instruments. Jesus said in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to Ukraine and to China and to the ends of the earth, everywhere. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The disciples were left there alone, pondering the words of Jesus and pondering the ascension. While they pondered, two men in white robes appeared to them and assured them that Jesus would come again in the same way that they had seen him depart. And I want us today to drill down a little bit in this scripture, to focus on the words in verse 8 specifically, especially the words, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Those words are our marching orders. We are witnesses for Christ. What a wonderful name it is. Amen? What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. We are witnesses for Christ, witnesses for God the Father, witnesses for the gospel of the kingdom. But before we get into that, let's focus a bit on what it means to be on mission with God. Throughout history of the world, we see God at work in many different ways. God is on mission throughout history in order that one, his name would be glorified, two, that his kingdom would be established, and three, that the world would be reconciled to him. Three simple points. God desires that his name be made known throughout the world and that it be glorified for his kingdom's sake. He, God, wants his kingdom established. Not only in heaven, but also on earth. And more importantly, he, God, wants the world reconciled to himself. In other words, he wants relationship restored between creator and the created. Amen? Wants relationship restored between creator and the created. Henry Blackaby, a Canadian church planting pastor and the author of a popular book called Experiencing God, wrote the following about God's mission. God has initiated every part of his work throughout history. Instead of carrying out his mission on his own, God chooses to accomplish his mission in a very personal way. He chooses to involve his people with him, working through them to accomplish his purposes. When he is about to take a further step to advance his mission, he comes to one or more of his servants. He lets them know what he is about to do. He invited them to join him by bidding them to adjust their lives to him so that he can accomplish every aspect of his 
mission through them. Pastor Blackaby points out a very important truth about God. God could accomplish his mission without anyone else's help. He is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. In clear terms, he knows all. He sees all. He has the power to do what is necessary to reestablish his kingdom on earth. But he chooses not to do it on his own. He chooses to accomplish his work by partnering with his creation to accomplish his task. In other words, he invited you and me to participate with him to spread the good news of the kingdom of God to those who don't yet know him. Amen? One small verse in a minor prophet kind of summarizes this thought. We read in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. God does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants. You are his servants. In this context of Amos, that was the prophets, but as as we look throughout the Bible, we see it was not just the prophets. We see that it is a multitude of people, and that multitude includes you and I. Let's take a quick survey of God's partnership as revealed in Scripture. We start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God has created Adam and Eve and expresses to them their mission. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion of it. God shows us from the very beginning of creation that he intends to partner with his creation. Humans to accomplish his will. Adam and Eve were the first humans that were the first to be tasked by God in partnering with him. Then in Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 to 22, God enlists Noah to build an ark so that a remnant may survive God's coming judgment on mankind. Then in Genesis 12 and following, God enlists Abraham as the father of his, God's, chosen people. The people that God will use to bless all creation, all of mankind. The people that God will use to bless all of creation, all of mankind, the people from whom God's only son, Jesus Christ, will come to announce the kingdom of God and to pay the penalty so that mankind can be reconciled to him. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Although my sin is great, what did it say? 
His love is greater. So that man can be reconciled to God, Christ came to pay the penalty. In Genesis 37 and the following chapters, God enlists Joseph to carry his name into Egypt and eventually rescue God's people from starvation, from a famine that's sweeping the whole world. Then in Exodus, God enlists Moses to rescue his people out of Egypt and return them to the promised land. God eventually worked through the prophets to declare his mission. The working in world events to continually bring glory to his name and to execute his mission. Finally, let's take a quick look at some of the more minor servants, but no less important servants from the rest of the Old Testament. We have Joshua and Caleb and Gideon, Jonah, Elijah, Elisha, Samuel, Nathan, King David, and Solomon. And let's not forget the women. That's right. There was Deborah, Abigail, Esther, Ruth, ladies. The women for you to emulate. Men, the men for you to emulate. Now when you make a list like I just did, inevitably I have left off someone that you think should have been on the list. That's okay. It just goes to say that there are lots of people that God used. And we all have our favorites. Even though I left them off the list, they were still instruments in God's hands to partner with him to accomplish his mission. Now we fast forward to the New Testament and look at the people that God partnered with to bring about his mission. The first you think about are the 12 disciples. Then we drift along to think about Paul and Barnabas and Mark, who fled naked. Little tidbit that makes kids wonder about the Bible and what it tells. Silas, Timothy, Titus, Stephen, Philip, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Mark, Martha, Mary and Lazarus, their brother, and Priscilla and Aquila, along with Luke, the physician. Those are some of our most favorite characters from the New Testament. But the very first people that God chose to use in the New Testament were Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, her betrothed. Let's look first in Matthew chapter 1. We find their story starting in verse 18. Let me read for us. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from 
their sins. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. For a little further clarification, we turn to Luke, the first chapter. And in Luke chapter 1, start with verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and and burn incense. Was it by Lot or was it by God? And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled. Get that? He will be filled with the Holy Spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of the wisdom of the just to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. God chose Zechariah. God chose Elizabeth. God chose Mary, a young girl. God chose Joseph, a God-fearing man who was honorable. God chose them, prepared them, and his son came through them. These stories reiterate the fact that God has a plan to accomplish, specifically the plan of making his name known establishing his kingdom and reconciling his people to himself. So to fulfill the prophecies that he gave his prophets, we find an angel sharing with Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph how he, God, is going to fulfill prophecy that he, God, gave to his prophets and send the Messiah to Israel. So we have established that God works his mission, his plan, his story through partnering with his creation, the people of his own choosing. And that brings us back to our topic this morning. The New Testament church is seen as the missionary force to accomplish God's purposes. 
The mission of God continues even to this day. So who, is, who are his servants doing his mission at this time? Anyone? We are. It's you and it's me. We are. It's the New Testament church. Let's look back to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, our main topic for today, where we received our marching orders, just the same as the apostles did at the ascension of Christ. Note Jesus did not answer their direct question about the timing of restoring the kingdom. But he did remind them that as promised, they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They would be recipients of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. God was going to reside in them, amen? God is going to reside in you, amen? God is residing in you. Do you believe that? If you believe it, raise your hand. Now live like it. God is going to reside in us. God is going to make them, us, a temple for God to fill and to use. In a few weeks, we're going to study about that when I preach on the church's living stones. We will study that the first, uh, that we are people chosen by God to be a royal priesthood, a holy people, a holy nation. But for now, let's focus on verse 8, the fact that we are witnesses for God about the gospel. Note in verse 8 that it says, you will be my witnesses. The word used here is an imperative which means that it's of vital importance. It's crucial. It demands immediate action. It's not a suggestion, folks. It's not a suggestion. It's a fact. You will be a witness. Now comes my question. What kind of witness are you? Ponder that over this week. You are a witness. No choice. No two ways about it. You are a witness. You've come here this morning to the church. People know you came here to church. My neighbors saw us leaving for church. They know we come to church. They know who we are. And so during the rest of the week, what does my witness say to those people? You will be my witnesses. Before we go further, we need to ask, answer the question, what are we to witness about? We are to bear witness about the fact that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, and that the message is that the Messiah brought the gospel. The gospel 
is the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, God's Son, came to seek and save the lost. He came to bring us reconciliation with God the Father. You get to be reconciled to the creator of the universe. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we can be reconciled with God, that we can be presented without sin, without blemish, without fault. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Although my sin was great, his love was greater. He presents us without sin, without blemish, without fault. He presents us to God acceptable. This leads to the gift of eternal life, which Christ bestows on those who love him. Our hope of living forever is rooted in him. The kingdom of God is what should compel us to spread the good news. Because we want others also to have this hope. Amen? Or are you so cold-hearted that you want your neighbor to go to hell? That wasn't in my sermon, but it just came out. Do you want to declare the gospel of the kingdom? Or do you want people to go to hell? David, this isn't in the notes, so just beware. Today, we are so caught up with being politically correct. We are so caught up in being looked at as nice people. We are so caught up in being accepted at work, at school, in our neighborhoods. We are so caught up with trivial things that we are absolutely no good for God because we are not the right witnesses. Are you witnessing more for your political stance or are you witnessing for Christ? Do you witness more for the things going on in this world or do you witness more for this Bible, the truth of God's word? Why are we so caught up in what people think of us? Why are we so caught up in causes that aren't biblical or have a truth of Bible but we fabricated that truth a bit. What are you caught up in? How does it affect your witness for Christ? I got to think back to where we are in the sermon. Our hope is in the good news of the gospel. 
Which one's that? Yeah. So we are now reconciled with God. Yeah. That's God's whole mission, to reconcile his creation to himself. Thank you. I think I'm going to jump back in where I'm supposed to be. Christ wants us to be his ambassadors to the world to deliver the gospel message truthfully and accurately, even if we know the hearers don't want to hear it. We aren't supposed to water it down. We are supposed to deliver it without reservation. We see the apostles doing that in the book of Acts. We read that Paul was doing that in the book of Acts as well as his letters. Last week, Pastor Dave mentioned Fox's Book of Martyrs. That book describes those witnesses for Christ who were killed for their faith and for delivering a truthful message regardless of the consequences. In regards to Christ, he often told his disciples that they would not be treated any different than he was treated. To quote it, he says, the servant is treated as the master is treated. Jesus was crucified. If you're his servant, what's that mean for you? Our history lets us know that the apostles all died violent deaths with the exception of one, and that was John. But what happened to him? He was dipped in boiling oil, but he was such a crusty old guy, he wouldn't die because God had a message to deliver through him for us, the church. Will you be treated differently as a witness for Christ? The church today, that's us, should not expect to receive any different treatment when we present the truth of the gospel. We should know that we must present the gospel. We must be willing to die for the cause of Christ. We must not shy away from delivering any message that the Holy Spirit gives us to deliver. We must also be prepared to go wherever the Lord sends us. And for however long, he wants us to be there. Last Sunday, we heard from one of our missionaries. David, I forgot her name again. Carolyn. She went to a really harsh mission field, remember? She went to Hawaii. Man, that sounds tough. Although she's on Maui, and frankly, I have a bad love-hate relationship with Maui. My wife and I went to Hawaii, and she gratefully says to me, let's just go down to the beach for a little while. And I forgot my sunscreen, and she says, we won't be there that long. It'll be okay. It wasn't. (laughs) And we weren't there that long. But oh my gosh, I felt like a lobster in a boiling uh, pot of water. That night, although it was 82 degrees outside, I was shivering and shaking so bad because I was cold, because my body was burning. Side note. 
Hawaii is a great place. Wouldn't you like God to call you to Hawaii? Carolyn was called to Hawaii. But what caught my attention most were two facts. One, she has been there for 51 years serving the Lord. 51 years. Dave told me she's over 80. She's still serving the Lord. Second, her school just this year is reaching out to several Ukrainian refugee families. Can you believe Ukrainian refugees are in Hawaii? Is that where you want to go? <laughs> we, we can hopefully make that happen, but just for a vacation, we want you back. But can you believe that? 51 years ago, God sent her to Hawaii knowing that he would then send some Ukrainian families to be ministered to by her for his name, for his kingdom's sake. We don't seem to think about the fact that God works behind the scenes. We are blessed to see many of our, mission, our congregations serving in missions this summer. Gabrielle has been in the Middle East. Elena Marchinko is serving in Mexico. Some of our folks also went to El Salvador. They're going to tell us about it next Sunday. Those are our foreign missionaries, foreign witnesses. But what about here at home? Last week, Pastor Dave challenged us as part of the body of Christ that we need to serve the body. Part of being servants means that we also are witnesses. Because our acts of service speak loudly even to the world, not just to our fellow believers. Note in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, we read about the apostles in the early church. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Our actions are a witness for Christ that lead others to come to him. Is your witness such that it's drawing others to Christ, to the truth? So how is your witness? How are you serving him? How bold are you being for the gospel of the kingdom? Wherever we are, whether it's working a job, attending school, raising children at home, or retired after years of work, we need to remember that we are witnesses for Christ. 54 years ago, when I started serving with the missions organization, I was taught a simple life statement that I continue to abide by even to this day, and it goes like this. Honor and glorify God and delight in him in the inner city. And you do this by knowing God and making him known. Easy to memorize. If you forget it, send me a note 
an email, and I'll send you an email back, and it's at the bottom of my email. Honor and glorify God and delight in him in the inner city. You do this by knowing God and by making him known. The inner city is where I and my fellow missionaries served. But you can insert your own situation into that statement. So yours might read, honor and glorify God and delight in him in my work at Boeing or in my work at Edward Jones or in my teaching at Hazelwood West High School or as a student up here in the balcony area, as a student at Hazelwood West or whatever school, you get the drift. So how is your witness? Are you being a good ambassador for Christ? Honor and glorify God and delight in him where he has placed you, where he has you right now because he is partnering with you in the work that you are doing. And he is partnering with you to announce the kingdom of God, the gospel message. He is partnering with you. He wants you to be a good ambassador for him. In a few moments, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. This sacrament reminds us that we belong to the body of Christ. We are members of God's family. We have been bought with a price. And as such, we are not our own. Not anymore. But we are Christ's servants, his missionaries, his witnesses. Here at Chatham, we observe an open table, which means that if you are a believer in Christ, you are welcome to come and partake in communion. If you prefer, you can get one of the prepackaged kits out in the foyer. Or if you're unable to come forward, just raise your hand, and one of our elders will bring you the elements. If you don't know Christ, you've heard about the good news this morning. Christ came to save, to seek, and save the lost. Christ came to pay the penalty for your sins, that you might be sanctified, reconciled to him. God wants you to be reconciled to him. Your creator is waiting to be reconciled. As always, if you want to know more about Christ, please come see me, see Dave, see Josh, one of the elders. We'd be happy to tell you about Christ or see the person who brought you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, this has been a wonderful morning. A wonderful day to come and to worship you, our Lord and Savior, to worship you, the one who
who came to pay the penalty for our sins. It is a wonderful name. It is a magnificent name, the name of Jesus. It is a name that we hold in high regard because we understand that Jesus was your beloved son who you foretold about from the early moments of our creation, your creation, until he came. You reminded us that you wanted relationship with us, your creation. Father, as we come to this time of communion, we come to a time to reflect upon the work of Jesus Christ, the work that he did by going to a cross, that we might be reconciled to you. Guide us, encourage us, strengthen us, Father, that we may do your work as we partner with you on mission for Christ. Amen.